First Timothy chapter 2 in your Bibles, please. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two, James. Shortly after his conversion, Lee Strobel wrote the book *The Case for Christ*. Who's, who's read that or heard of it? Okay, some of you. Okay, excellent. It's really good, isn't it? And uh, it's a true story, an autobiography based upon his journey to find Christ. Strobel's testimony is the opposite of what you might think. Rather than seeking to prove the veracity of Jesus Christ, the investigative journalist set out to prove that Jesus Christ was not whom Jesus, or sorry, whom Christians think he is, and he did not rise again from the dead. That was their goal to try and, that was his goal, should I say, to prove that. Why? Because he was an avowed atheist, and his, he did not like the changes that he was seeing in his wife, who had become a born-again Christian. He was on a mission to prove that her faith was phony. After several months of thorough investigation, talking to several high-ranking experts, Strubble came to this conclusion that Jesus Christ really is who he claimed to be, and thus he had no choice but to gloriously get saved. Amen? It's a wonderful story, The Case for Christ, and I hope you can look at the movie or read the book sometime and be encouraged by it, because it is a blessing. But brethren, I'm not here this morning to talk to you about the case for Christ. I'm here rather to speak to you about the case for prayer. We live in a day and age where prayer is no longer fashionable. I looked up the top reasons, the top ten reasons why Christians don't pray, and this is what I came up, up with. Number one, we feel our prayers are ineffective. And it's like an impatience with God. God is just not answering. I'm not getting anywhere. Number two, we don't feel close to God. Perhaps some suggest we don't want his interference in our lives. Number three, distractions. We're either too busy or we don't have the discipline to pray. Number four, boredom. It's a duty to pray. Why should we give ourselves to this duty, some would say. Number five, we rely on our own strength. We're used to doing things on our own. We'll figure it out when we just figure it out. Number six, God will not hear or nothing will happen. It's like a deficient attitude. Perhaps we're holding on to sin. Perhaps we just don't believe. Number seven, a lack of personal significance. Some would say, why would God want to listen to me? Why do I have any value to God? Some would say. Number eight, we just don't know how because no one has taught us. Number nine, we are discouraged or we are disappointed with God. Maybe we were praying about something in the past that didn't happen. We are disappointed with God over our life circumstances. And number 10, the number 10 reason why people don't pray is we have learned to live without prayer. I read this week that statistics show that 22% of 18 to 29 year olds pray seldom to never. 36% of 30 to 49 year olds pray at least once per month. The statistics continue to show that as new generations come along, fewer and fewer families are teaching their children to pray. This morning, I want to book the, 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 the uh, trend. I believe in booking the trend. I don't believe that we should fall into statistics. 
I don't believe we should just go along with what people say we should be. I believe in being a Christian. I believe in having fire in our bones. Have fire in our souls. I believe, in, I believe in what the Bible says. I believe we should live the way the Bible teaches, not the way the trends tell us we should live. Amen? Amen? That's what I want to talk about this morning. This Tuesday, 7 a.m. to 7.45 a.m., we are going to begin a six-week pointed prayer meeting in Gospel Baptist Church because other churches desperately need our prayers. And brethren, we need each other's prayers. I venture to say that most people in this room have come into this building this morning with some serious needs, things that you are praying about in your own life. Well, am I right? Well, brethren, we need to pray together. Let the fire burn together. If you ever light a fire, a coal, when it's on its own, it just goes out. But when the coals get together, the fire starts to burn. You with me here this morning? So we should pray together. In Matthew 21, verse 13, the Bible says, My house shall be called the house of prayer. I think for this year, Jesus said, I will build my church. And this church needs to be a praying church, or we're no longer a New Testament church. Are you, are you with me this morning? We've got to pray. And this morning, I want to give you, it is my desire, it's my prayer. I've been seeking the Lord about this this week. I hope you've been praying for me. There are people in this room, and they say to me, I've been praying for you every day. I'd love to hear that. Thank you. I want to hear more from you. If you're praying for me, let me know. I encourage, it encourages me. I'm praying for you. It encourages me. But I want to tell you something. I want to give you four reasons why we should give ourselves a prayer. The title of this morning's message is The Case for Prayer. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 8, and then we'll go to the Lord. I exhort, therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I bring this message before you. Again, it's my prayer people won't remember the message, but they'll remember you. And I'm asking just one thing of you this morning, Lord. I'm asking you to convince your people of the need to get together and pray. And let the conviction manifest itself in people turning up to pray. Because I feel led of the Spirit, moved by the Spirit of God to pray. Would you help us, Lord God? We need to pray. There's so many needs out there. Teach us to pray. Help us do what we're supposed to do, God, in this matter. Please, may we become a praying church in Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share is number one, we need to pray, number one, because we want God's will. Anyone who's a Christian wants God's will. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We want God's will to be done. Paul exhorted believers to get together and pray. Verse 1, it says here, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and he speaks on. The word exhort there means to invite. 
I'm inviting you, like the Apostle Paul would, I'm inviting you to meet with us to pray. I'm imploring you, it means to implore, please, please prioritize prayer. Beseech you, I beg you, please prioritize prayer in your life. Why? Because it is good and acceptable. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Brethren, the last time we saw that word good and and acceptable, it was referring to the will of God. Isn't that right? Verse 2 of Romans 12, be be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. Brethren, it's good and acceptable for you, for God's people to gather together and pray. Why? Because it's His will. It's God's will. I want to tell you something. It's God's will. We are believers. We want God's will. It's God's will that we gather together to pray. Now, this raises the question, why should we want God's will? I hope that's a fair question this morning. Why should we want God's will? You know, a master has authority over a dog or another pet. Maybe it's a cat, maybe it's a goldfish, maybe it's a, a budgie, whatever. Now, that... <laughs> trying to not get myself the trouble this morning. But that pet may have his will. Stem ginger. <laughs> but the master has his will, or... The female master. I don't want to say the other thing. Now, who should defer to who? I mean, whose will should win? Think about the employee-employer situation. An employee might have his will, and the employer has his. Who do you think should naturally give in to who? Who owns the business? Now, I understand it gets a sticky, it becomes a sticky situation when abuse is happening within the workplace, but you can always leave, and many do. What about the toddler parent situation, scenario? The toddler has his will, and the parent has his will. And if you would be listening to the liberal lo- left, <laughs> I'm trying to be careful and kind of my words, right? You would say, well, you should defer to the will of the toddler and let him express himself. No thanks. <laughs> I think we know who should be in charge, not the toddler, okay? When it comes to God, let's be honest. Who should give in to whom? Does not the Almighty have the right to exert His will? After all, He is everywhere. Second Chronicles 6.18 But will God in very deed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. I want to tell you something. God fills this house when His people are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful experience to be in the house of God filled with the presence of God. Amen? And some of you have experienced that before. Perhaps some of you are experiencing that right now. But the more we're filled with the Holy Spirit individually, the more collectively the Spirit of God fills the place. Would you agree with that? It's a wonderful thing to experience the presence of God. But that's only a drop in the bucket when it comes to the presence of the Lord. Because the Lord is everywhere. Do you understand? He is all-powerful, Matthew 8, 27. But the men marvel, saying, What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. The waves may toss, the winds may blow, and the winds can be so powerful they can blow down buildings, they can knock off our electricity. I mean, if you had your electricity knocked off this week or the week past, many of us did, didn't we? But who's in charge of the wind? Is it not the Almighty? He is sovereignly in complete control at all times. Daniel 4.35 And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That was the king of all kings, Nebuchadnezzar, who said that. 
And he doeth according to his will in the army of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and say unto him, What doest thou? What are you doing? No one can say that to the Almighty. He is God. He is the Lord. He is Jehovah. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is God Almighty. He is Lord, brethren. And right now, he's seated on his throne in glory. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of man. God is in heaven. He has a will, brethren. And he has every right to have a will. And can I put it this way? He has more right to have a will than we do. Am I right about this? Yes. He is the Lord. Brethren, he misses nothing. Psalm 139.2 Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. He misses nothing. He's the Lord. And though he is to be feared, he cares about every area of our lives. Aren't you glad that Jesus cares? It could be that he's just the Almighty and he doesn't care and he has his own way and he could be just great big despot. You know, people have blasphemously said that God has no right to his own will. I'm so glad that they're wrong. And I'm so glad that God is not tyrannical. I'm so glad that God is not forceful in exerting his will upon us. He is very gracious. And I'm so glad that he is interested in every area of our lives. The Lord may give us a very long rope. Are you with me here? And we can get ourselves into big trouble with that very long rope. But even when we do, he cares. Luke 2.17 but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. God cares about every area of our lives. And he has a will. And he has, brethren, he has every right to will. Because he's the Lord. The Bible has a lot to say about the will of God. God's will is good, Romans 12, 2. His will is joyous, Romans 15, 32. God's will is a hard issue for us to work through, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. God's will is fulfilled by his family members. See, who are the family members? The saved, the born again, the washed in the blood of Jesus. Those are the family members of God. Jesus said it this way, For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Are you in the family of God? I wasn't too many yeses. Are you in the family of God? Yes. Okay. Let people know. Don't be ashamed. Let them know what family you belong to. Brethren, God's will is fulfilled by his family members. David served by the will of God, Acts 13, 36. Paul served by the will of God, Romans 1, 10. And the church members of Macedonia gave by the will of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. There's too many scriptures, we don't have the time to go through it, but they were submitted to the will of God because they knew God has a will and he has every right to his will and his will is good and it's perfect, it's acceptable, it's joyous. Brethren, can I honestly say that every genuine believer wants God's will to be done? Do you think that's fair? Everyone who's if, if somebody doesn't want God's will to be done, don't you think you have a right to sit back and say, is that really a Christian? Do you think that's fair? God has every right to his will. 
Again, we the Our Father, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every born-again Christian should be praying, God, I want your will to be done in heaven. And it's been done in heaven. We don't have to ask for that. We want it done on earth. And praying brings us right into the will of God, doesn't it? When we start praying, God starts to address us. You ever find yourself praying for somebody else and God takes those fingers and points it back at you? <laughs> and God starts working on your life. That's a wonderful thing. It's very refreshing, isn't it? What God is doing is bringing you into his will. And brethren, is not the, the common desire for the will of God a very good reason for God's people to get together and pray? That we all want his will together. Because brethren, the devil wants to separate us. The devil wants to give you every reason in the world to not want to be in the house of God. I'm glad you're here. I don't know. Maybe it was a battle for some of you to get here this morning. The devil will make it every, every excuse. He'll put every excuse in your mind not to be in the house of God. Because he doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you encouraged. He doesn't want you seeking the Lord in, 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 with, with all the people who are the same as you. You with me here this morning? Brethren, that's why we should get together to pray. So we can seek the face of God together. Because you'll find that prayers you're praying are the same prayers as other people are praying. Isn't that right? As we, seek, as we seek the will of God together. We need to pray because we want God's will. But secondly, we need to pray because we want peace. I don't know a person in the world who doesn't want peace. And brethren, can I put it this way? The older you get, the more peace you're looking for. <laughs> does that make sense? It just does. Or just give me a bit of peace. I don't hear young people say that very often, but older people say it a lot. <laughs> Do you ever notice that? Because <laughs> you seem to want that peace. Our peace, brethren, is affected by those in authority. Look at verse 2. Paul said in verse 2, I, I exhort verse 1, that prayers and supplications, verse 2, be made for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Our peace is affected by those in authority. Prime ministers, or T-shots, tarnishers, TDs, counselors, make decisions, brethren, that we have to live with. The decisions they make, we have to live with. Minister Roderick O'Gorman right now is deciding whether to use uh, uh, Crooks Lane, right beside where we live, to house 400 asylum seekers. It'd be really nice if they would get involved with the community and talk to the community to put our, some of our fears we have at ease, but they're not interested in, do, in doing that. All we can do is pray. There's a lot of protesting going on, and this morning, someone wickedly set fire to the nursing home and the fire brigade up there. For them to, that's wrong. It's not right. You know? And I want to make a public statement on behalf of those protesters, which I join a couple of times a week, and let the people know, we're not for setting up fires. That's wrong. I believe in peaceful protests, not arson attacks. But brethren, if, if they go ahead and, and put those asylum seekers up there, there's a whole lot of ramifications for the rural area if it's not done the right way. Nobody is against housing people. Nobody's against that if it's done the right way. If it's done the wrong way, it ends up in trouble. You with me here this morning? And that's the concern, if it's not done the wrong, right way. You say, what could be wrong? Well, they're allowing undocumented people into the country. What's undocumented mean? It means they have no passports. You can't trace them. You have no idea what criminal records they have. 
Because we have no idea. They're undocumented. And over 3,800 undocumented people arrived at our, our, our shores last year. And I saw the Minister for Justice being questioned on it, and he didn't have answers. That's no good! We need answers to set our minds at ease. It's not Ukrainians that are being housed right now. It's other people from what, uh, and some of them coming from what Minister Helen McAtee calls not safe countries, unsafe countries. That concerns me. That concerns us. That's what we need to pray. That's what we need to pray. On another issue, our constitution has been needlessly changed twice in the past decade. And right now, they want to have a referendum to change Article 41.2, deleting the protection of women in the home. And it hasn't been thought through. Brother Report has an excellent article written by the Irish Independent, I think it is, isn't it? And uh, if you want a copy of that, we'll make sure you get that. It was very well written. And you know, just because people want to yes vote because it sounds great doesn't mean it's good for the country or good for the individuals. There are ramifications. It's removing protection from women who want to be in the home. What about the women who actually want to be in the home? They're not thought about. Just like the 30% weren't thought about when the government had a one-way cycle with the previous two referenda. Brother, we need to pray. I'm not going to go on placards and walk up and down every day. I don't have time for that. But we can pray. Brethren, our job is not to get involved in all these political issues. Our job as Christians is to do what they can't do. Pray. Pray. And one of the people on the, on the WhatsApp group made a statement, you know, we just need to have these inner feelings and, and project our inner feelings. And she said, I hope I don't sound weird. <laughs> Anyway, and she said, we need to unite our inner feelings and, and put away the bad vibes. No, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I understand some people are new age, but we're born-again Christians. We're the old stock. We're the people who believe in prayer. I don't believe in feelings. I believe in facts. I believe in faith. I believe in the Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Savior. I believe in a God who can change things when people pray. That's why we should pray. We need to pray together for those in authority. And if, if in one place Ireland, I, I'm sorry, if in one place Gospel Baptist Church has failed, it's to pray for those in authority. I thank God one of our men every week almost always prays for the government. And so we should. Brethren, we need to pray more for the government. They need our prayers because they're not praying for themselves. We they need our prayers. I'm not trying to be disrespectful when I say they don't always know what they're doing. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm quoting scripture. Because our Lord said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing always. Paul said, which none of the prince of this world which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They're blinded. They're blinded to truth. The Bible says the, lie, the lost are blinded to the gospel and blinded to the truth like the nation of Israel. Unto this day, the veil is upon their heart. Brethren, if their eyes were open so that they could see, they wouldn't be putting out half the stuff that they're putting out. They're blinded. Our job is to pray. Yes, we can campaign for truth and all that type of stuff, but Christians would do better if they get on their knees together with other believers and seek the face of God and pray. Amen.
they cannot see clearly, and since they cannot clearly see, brethren, we need to be their eyes. You with me here? I don't know if anybody and you ever saw the old film Ben Hur, but there was a fella and he ended up in prison, and uh, then he had this big strong guy carried him everywhere he went, and uh, he said, "I am his tongue." And he, the guy, he was tortured. They were both tortured. One guy lost his legs. The other guy, a big strong guy, uh, lost his tongue. And uh, he said, I am his tongue and he is my eyes. It's a great line. Brethren, I want to tell you something. We need to be, uh, to be the eyes of the government. We need to see for them and pray for them. And, and, and if we can, counsel them. And sometimes I have offered counsel to the government. And I do think that they've made some changes based on some of the things I've offered. I do think so. Because I saw changes afterwards. But brother, we need to pray. We need to seek the face of God. We need to be petition God for those who cannot see for themselves. Our prayers can make a difference. Is that not a good reason to get together and pray? Our peace is affected by those in authority, but it's also dependence upon being godly. It says here in chapter 2, verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Brethren, we need to live in godliness and honesty. Psalm 15, verse 1 and 2, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. As we pray, we should not just be praying for our leaders, we should be praying for ourselves. God, work in our hearts. Lord, you know there was a day when I was more on fire for you. God, I've lost some of that fire. God, forgive me. Bring me back. Work in my heart. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God has made promises, but there are conditions to his promises. If we will give ourselves to prayer, if we will give ourselves to humbling ourselves before God, he has made promises in his word. Those promises are for Israel, but can we not apply those, Israels, those promises for ourselves? God, please, would you intervene? That is the prayer that leads us to the peace that passes understanding, isn't it? We need to pray because we want God's will. We need to pray because we want God's peace. But there's another reason why we should pray. We should pray because we want people saved. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come through repentance. Shouldn't we want God's will? Shouldn't we want people saved? For people to be saved, they must want the truth. And herein lies the problem. Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants people to have the truth in their hands. But the problem is we live in a, a world of misinformation. A man I went to school with, his name is Stephen, is now working with the UN. And his job is to deal with disinformation and expose it. By the way, the difference between disinformation and misinformation is this. Misinformation is false information. Disinformation is spreading misinformation on purpose. That's the difference. Facebook and YouTube spend time and money, money identifying misleading content, and they will go as far as to close your account if you are spreading misinformation. Mark Twain said this. I love this. You gotta let, don't miss this. This is really cool. Mark Twain said this. 
A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. Let me say this again. It gets better, brethren. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. Mark Twain said that. It's a great quote, isn't it? Problem is, we've no proof that Mark Twain really said it. <laughs> That's cool. That was really good. I read that in an That was really good. Misinformation spreads all the time. I mean, a friend and I, one of the men and I were laughing during the week because the misinformation that if you don't got the COVID vaccine, you'd be dead within two years. Now they we spent the four years. Brethren, I'm halfway through my life cycle. I got two years to live. And then he said, well, maybe the rapture will happen first. That's misinformation. It's misinformation. Maybe it's even disinformation. People make up stuff. I don't like the COVID vaccine. I didn't even want the COVID vaccine. I got it so I could get into America. Fine. You have your reasons. I have my reasons. But I'm not living by misinformation and disinformation. Question is, how do we know what's being said is being misinformation? I gave you a great quote from Mark Twain. We all sucked in, we're sucked in by it, all believed it, until I told you actually you no proof that he really said it. How do we know what is misinformation and what's not? Who fact-checks the fact-checkers? Who snoops on snoops? Trust is such a big thing. When people are persistently lied to, it's hard for them to readily accept the truth. Isn't that true? That takes a work of the Holy Spirit. And brethren, we've got to give ourselves to pray. We've got to pray that people want the truth. Honestly, I believe if the truth is put before people, they actually know it's the truth in our hearts because God testifies of it. But we need the Holy Spirit to bring it to light. Is, is, does that make sense? And convince people so that they want the truth. For people to be saved, they must want the truth, but they also must want the Savior, and they must want His salvation. Look at verse 5. It says here, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, the men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Christianity is exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Some people don't like me saying that. No, you have your way and I have mine. I'm glad you have your religion. I'm glad you have your truth. Now some people on the, uh, can I say the loony left? Some people on the loony left want you to believe two and two really isn't four. And you're saying, I oh, no, 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 seriously, there was, but last year I was reading some online content where some people were trying to redefine what it could be four. That's insane. Truth is truth. Now, I can get on a plane on EI-124, Aer Lingus, and I can say, I'm going to Africa. Hannah and I want to go to Kenya. I'm going to Africa. And if I get on EI-124, flight number EI-124, I say, how do you know the flight number? Take lots of times. I can get on that plane. I say, we're going to Africa. And she's going to go, tough luck. We're on our way to Chicago. <laughs> you know what? I can say I want something to be truth. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. Truth is truth. And the truth is EI-124 flies to Chicago. It just does. It's just the way it is. So people struggle with truth. But brethren, here's the truth. There's only one person who died on the cross. His name is Jesus. 
There's only one person who satisfied the wrath of God when he died on that cross. And his name is Jesus. The tragedy is that most people don't want the truth. And the reason why they don't want the truth is because they don't want the one that comes with the truth. They don't want the Savior. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leads onto life. Few that be that find it. They have got to want the truth. And we said it many times. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You've got to want the truth. To be free. Finally, I want to share with you, brethren, as we wrap things up. <coughs> and by the way, that's why we need to pray. We need to get together and pray that people want the truth. Finally, though, when we go to prayer, we must do it with faith. Away with our prayers of, if it's your will, if it's your will, if it's your will. We've got to stop praying all the time, if it's your will. There are some things we absolutely know are God's will. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repent. That's God's will. We don't have to pray, Lord, please work in our hearts if it's your will. We know it's God's will. We know God is willing that none should perish. And we should desire the things that God desires. We need to get on the same road as the Lord, the same highway, the same motorway, the same dual carriageway. We need to be going in the same direction as the Lord. Are you with me here this morning? But as we do so, as we pray, obviously we need to pray with a clean heart. Look at verse 8. I will therefore that men... In today's day and age, just as a side point, over the last 50, 60 years, the prayer meetings have been left for the women. Uh, let the women pray. Let the women go to the prayer meetings. I think that's wrong. I think men should be men. I think men should lead. I think the women are the ones that influence the home, the hand that rocks the cradle, rules the world. When a woman gets involved in her children's lives, she has the potential to raise those children to be great men of God and great women for God. Amen? Men should lead. It should be the spiritual leaders in the home. And that's why verse 8 says, verse 8 says, I will therefore that men Pray everywhere. I love praying with men. Actually, I love praying with the women as well. To be honest with you, I really do. But I love praying with men and seeking the face of God with men, manly men, with a heart for God. It's such a blessing. I will, therefore, the men pray everywhere. And how should men pray? With a clean heart. Verse 8. With holy, lifting up holy hands. Now, I understand Jewish custom, Jewish culture, they would raise their hands and pray. Now, if that's part of your culture, you grew up with that, you raise your hands, pray. By all means, close your, close your eyes, raise your hands, pray, whatever you need to do. But the whole idea of raising your hands is your heart's clean. A clean heart. I will that man pray, men pray everywhere with lifting up holy hands. We have to have a clean heart. If we, we need to confess our sins and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. If we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear, he, hear us. If there's something between us and God, if there's something we're dealing with, if God, this, this precious Holy Spirit of God is trying to convince us of something and we're closing our ears, obviously we're not on praying ground. If God has shown us something and we're not doing it, obviously we're not praying on praying ground. Our hearts aren't clean. We need the clean heart. Does that make sense? 
But also, not just a clean heart, brethren, we need a meek life. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath. Anger. We talked about that in Sunday school class. Anger. Anger the destroyer. Can I say something to you, brethren? Anger will kill your spiritual life. Saul got away with it for a while. The Spirit of God came upon Saul and empowered Saul to do his, God's work in Israel. But it didn't last long. Anger began to consume him and anger then destroyed Saul. Anger will destroy us. Don't allow anger to destroy your spiritual life. Not only does anger destroy our homes, but it destroys our power with God. At all costs, get anger out of your life. And I am speaking, brethren, from experience. Anger has to go. Because you and I know that an angry parent begets angry children. And we spread it on. That anger has to go. We need to lift up our holy hands without wrath. Without anger, with a clean heart, with a pure heart, with a, with a godly life, with meekness, we can correct our children. And I want to tell you, can I tell you this as a tip? When you have no expression, and you tell your children what they're supposed to do, and you have no emotion, it kills them. They, they, it, it, just, it has so much power. It's so much fun, actually, to play mind games with them. Because you just have no emotion. You do that again, you see what's going to happen. You smile. You look at you put the fear of God in you. It does more in their lives than any form of anger. Because when you express anger, the children focus on your anger, not on what you're trying to say to them. And you totally lose the plot. But when you say with a smile, with a straight face, oh, it works. It's great. I encourage you to do so. But brethren, we should lift up holy hands without wrath, no anger, with a, with a clean heart, with a right heart, with a meek heart. But our prayers finally only become effective when we actually believe. Look at verse 8 again. Without wrath and doubting. Without doubting. I wonder how many don't want to go to prayer meetings because of what they've experienced in their past. Maybe they were at a prayer meeting and the people are going on and on and on. And it's boring. They're not getting to the point. There's no conviction. There's no passion. There's no fear. There's no fear of God. There's no power. They're boring, powerless prayers. I don't blame you for not wanting to go to a prayer meeting like that. But I say to you, give it another chance. Give it another chance. I wonder how many people don't want to go to prayer meetings because they've experienced the bombastic, conflated prayers. That sounds so impressive. And these people are so eloquent in their prayers. You think they're reading from Shakespeare rather than talking to God. And you know, you're not impressed by their prayers because they're spouting off their waffle. And you know how they live. They don't live by it. They just sound impressive. And you don't want to pray because you stutter over your words. I've told people before, and I'm going to say it again. When I find people that pray like Shakespeare, I'm bored by their prayers. I'm bored by it. But when people stutter, and they can barely get the words out, and you feel the sense of the presence of God, because they're just trying to just talk to God, it is the most precious prayer sometimes I've ever heard all week. You with me here this morning? People get put off by hypocrisy, and I don't blame them. But give prayer another chance. 
give prayer another chance. Why must we have dead prayer meetings? Why must we have fake prayer meetings? Can we not have New Testament prayer meetings? What's wrong with that? Acts 1 verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And I love praying at prayer meetings. And we've had prayer meetings like this down here where we're all praying the same prayer. And we don't have to pray the same prayer. Please bless Uncle Jim. Please bless Uncle Jim. And say, oh, please bless Uncle Jim. Oh, please. No, you don't have to. Because when somebody's saying, please bless him, Uncle Jim, please work in his heart. Please bring him to salvation. You hear, mm, yes, Lord, please God. Because there's a passion, there's a burning, there's a desire, there's agreement. And when one person's praying, everybody's agreeing. So we, the Lord doesn't need all the details of what's going on, or what you've had for breakfast, or how it happened on the way to church, or what's going to happen on the way home, or how, 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 how you're going to make your way home. God doesn't need all that stuff. He just wants to hear you pray. To pour out your heart before God. And pray. Like they did in the New Testament times. In one accord. Don't catch up in your prayer meeting because you didn't pray all week. I'll go Wednesday and I'll say my 20 minutes to God while everybody else falls asleep. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You pray at home. You seek the face of God at home and you come to a prayer meeting on fire for God. And let everybody join with you and say, Amen, Amen. We're with you. We're with you. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken. I love those prayer meetings where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Brethren, if the Holy Spirit is not in the prayer meeting, it's dead. Are you with me here this morning? We want the Holy Spirit involved in this, don't we? For those of you who missed Sunday school class, we Baptists really do believe in the Holy Spirit. We really do. Because it's called New Testament Christianity. We need the Spirit of God involved in our prayer meeting. Because when the Spirit of God is involved, the prayer meeting takes, on, it takes fire. We should be on fire for God, praying on fire for God. And you should come with a fire in your bones, a fire in your belly, a burning in your bosom, ready to pray and seek the face of God. And people, if they're not on fire, let them catch fire from your burning. Amen. Acts 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Peter was in prison. Herod wanted him dead. <clears throat> wanted to, Herod Agrippa wasn't Herod the Great. Herod the Great was Herod the God. Okay? So it was Herod Agrippa, his son. I get them mixed up. I get them mixed up. There's so many Herods. Seven Herods. Okay, so anyway, forgive me for not knowing which one it was. But Herod Agrippa, anyway. So Herod, Herod Agrippa wants him dead. And, uh, and uh, so he puts him in prison. And, and, and uh, he'd already killed James. So Peter was next. Peter was in prison. They're praying. And they're like us. They're praying, but they're not really believing. You say, how do you know? Because Peter, the, the, the angel releases prison, prison goes to the first door, goes to the second door, comes to the door, knocks on the door, when they have the prayer meeting, let me in, let me in. Rhoda opens the door, it's Peter! She comes back, she leaves up knocking on the door, goes back to everybody, and they says, God has answered our prayer, Peter's free. And they said, no, he hasn't. Doesn't that sound like us? We pray, we seek the face of God, we don't even believe it when God's going to do it. I'm so glad that the New Testament is raw, it's real, it's honest. Because New Testament Christians are people just like you and me. We struggle to believe God. But Peter kept on knocking. Angels don't knock that long, they just walk through doors, right? <laughs> 
So then, then Rhoda let Peter in. It's he, it's me, praise God. God's on. They all have these great big group hug and, and uh, Peter got on with preaching. But the point is this. Peter got on with preaching and they went back to praying. You and I sometimes give up on our prayers because we don't believe God's going to do it. But they didn't. Yeah, they're like us. They struggle to believe too. But they went back to their praying. They're praying, didn't they? Brethren, that's what we need to do. Acts 16, 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise unto God. And the prisoners heard that what happened next? A miracle to sing about. And we didn't sing the song this morning, but I love it. You know the song. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed the amazing love. How can it be that God, my God, should die for me? What a wonderful hymn. What a wonderful event. What a wonderful answer to prayer because God's people got together and had their needs. Brother, we need to stoke the fires again. We need to get back to the prayer meetings. So what if it's out of fashion? Let's book the trend, right? Our churches are crying out for it. The needs of precious brethren are crying out for it. We know that we need to pray and we know why. It's God's will for us to do so. And if that's not enough, we need the peace that follows praying together. And if that's not enough, we need to pray for precious souls to be gloriously saved. And for this to happen, we've got to pray in faith. It's such a blessing to come on a Wednesday night and we get together to pray and we recount the prayers we've prayed over the years. We stand in this building and they say, remember we prayed to purchase this building. And so many things happened, one after the other after the other. It was a roller coaster. And I love roller coasters, but I don't like that roller coaster. But we now own the building. And then we prayed and said, Lord, we'd like to not pay the stamp duty. Help us be able to get a, a, a charitable status. And this charitable status, I was taking years to get this charitable status. Lord, help us be able to get charitable, charitable status so we don't have to pay the 27,000 euro stamp duty on the building. We didn't get the charitable status, but we did get exemption from the stamp duty. Because God answers prayer, brethren. And we got together and we prayed again. And we, and we prayed over the, in the last weeks and months that God, our children are growing up. We love our children. They're growing up. They're becoming teenagers. Scares us half to death. But they're becoming teenagers. We need more children in our children's department. God bringing new families. And God started bringing people like you in. You're a visitor. You're here a while. You're here because we prayed you in. And you're probably here because you prayed yourself in. God brought us together. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because God answers prayer. Amen. Don't focus on the prayers you didn't get answered. Prayer, focus on the prayers you did get answered. Yes. Our dear sister Deborah's at the back there, and we prayed. We gathered. We gathered here on Wednesday night. We prayed over her knee, and it was it was the best knee replacement anyone's ever had. God blessed, because God answers prayers. Brother, I don't know how to sell this to you. I'm not even a good salesman. I tried to sell oil paintings to make a living. I didn't make any living, but I made great opportunities to share the gospel with people. <laughs> my boss would say, how did you get on? And I said, I got to witness that guy over there, and that guy over there, you know. He was the deacon of the church. She said, well, he smiled, he laughed. I'm not making him any money, but I'm used to telling people about Jesus. I'm not a good salesman. But I hope I'm convincing you of the need to pray. 
This morning we've talked about the case for prayer. And the invitation is really simply this. Will you turn up? Will you gather with us on a Wednesday night and pray? Will you join with us for one or two or three of those sessions or the six sessions we're going to have? And hey, why go all out? Go to all six if you want, but at least, at least make one. Will you meet?